Friends, if you will, turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19. Now, as Justin has already made mention, we have, as far as our lectionary readings go, have been stuck in Luke, if you will, for months now. And we've worked our way through a 19, roughly 19 chapters. And uh, before it's over, you're going to have read with, you know, participatively, you're going to have read with us most of the Gospel of Luke. Now, our lectionary reading today, I came upon it and really felt like the Lord was saying, you know what, that's what I want you to preach about today. And so I, I, I snagged it, and so rather than doing it responsibly, I'm going to read it to us, and then we're going to dive into it because I really believe it is a word for us this morning. Notice these words found in Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's one, there should be one in the basket in front of you or around your, your pew there or your uh, seat. We don't have pews, we have seats. And so uh, Luke chapter 19, notice these words. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Bless now this reading of your holy word to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, I thought we were pretty poor, you know. Uh, You're like, what do you mean you lived on a dirt road and stuff like that? No, I didn't mean that. I meant that, you know, mom cut our hair, you know. You say, well, that's not a big deal. No, if you look at some pictures, it was a big deal. It really was. It was a big deal. We, we had some crooked stuff going on here, trying to be business in the front and party in the back, back in the 80s, you understand? With, we, were, we were being, as I like to call it now, a little molestuous with our mullet. And so we, that's a word I coined, you know, take it or leave it. But nonetheless, uh, we had mullets. We were living in the 80s. And just as a kid, you know, looking around at other people's lives, felt like we were pretty poor. We didn't, we weren't able to go out to eat. It, when we did go out to eat, you know, it was a big thing to even go to some place like Hardee's. You know, ate one of those hot dogs that um, were pink and turned the whole water pink. You remember those? Maybe, I guess they've been banned now. Maybe, but but we used to eat them every single day. We felt like we were pretty poor. But uh, you know, looking back, we weren't really all that poor. This lower middle class. Um, And, you know, Luke has a lot to say 
about poverty. In other words, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a lot to be said about the poor, but not just the poor. Sometimes we can get caught on the poor so much that our focus is always shifted there and we forget about the rich. We forget about the super rich or the ultra rich. Luke doesn't. Jesus doesn't. And if you'll just simply take your copy of Scripture and flip Back to chapter 18, you'll see very quickly you're landing on the story of the rich ruler, which is mentioned in all three of the synoptic gospels. Then if you turn just a little further into chapter 16, you see the rich man and Lazarus. Notice that Luke doesn't forget about the rich, even though Jesus will give many warnings to the rich. There are some who are victorious in living a godly life, even while being rich. Now, I'll make a case just very briefly that we all that live in America, that are middle class or upper middle class or lower middle class or lower, lower, lower middle class, whatever you consider yourself or whatever the government might consider you, maybe you're down in the poor category. We still have riches that have been given to us. We still live in a place that the world wants to come to and still be a part of, even if it doesn't necessarily like all the things we do here in America. There is freedom. There's all kind of just possibilities here that are not available in other places. And so I want to make a case just very quickly that, that we, in a way, in our own way, in our individual ways even, are rich, and this is a word for us. Now, I had to ask myself the question... <clears throat> Because really, the last time I, uh, I came to this text, uh, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I actually studied it, because it's one of those ones that just get plugged in your head as a kid, and you just kind of don't feel like you even need to review it much. You know, you kind of come to it, just, ah, da, 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 da. you're reading through there, and bada bing, bada boom. You ever notice how that happens in, in children's books? They really form you in, in a lot of times a good way, but sometimes we need to reread something because the children's story needs to be updated sometimes to the PG-13 story. You know what I mean? Like if you've ever read the flood account, for instance, as a child, you're like, oh, what a nice thing, a bunch of pretty animals and a rainbow. Yeah, that's not all that was involved, you know. I mean, I hate to tell you, but a lot of people died. A lot of animals died. It really wasn't, I mean, it was kind of a rated R sort of scene. And we need to reread it again in a true light, in, a, in an adult version, if you will. And that's what I sort of want to do here with this text, is reread it with adult eyes and listen as we too have been blessed and possibly could be considered rich by even Jesus. Notice this, the first thing you come to is he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, in thinking about Jericho, well, you, you should think right back to some of the stories you maybe heard of about the walls of Jericho. Uh, back, way back, rewind it all the way back to Joshua. And Jericho is this strategic, fortified, walled city that is the first one God chooses to go into to bring the walls down to create fear in all of Canaan. In other words, it was the first strategic city that was hit in the conquest 
or in the giving of the land by God to the people of Israel. And so Jericho is a special place already when it's mentioned here. A a Jew would immediately understand the significance of this place, Jericho. It was actually cursed, you may remember, after it was destroyed. It was cursed that that no one should build it back. It was actually rebuilt back. Elisha visited it, healed some people there, and now all of a sudden, Jesus is here. Actually, all of a sudden, Joshua is here. You know that Jesus' name is Joshua in Hebrew. Jeshua in the Greek. It just means God's salvation or the Lord's salvation. In other words, Joshua has the exact same name as Jesus. And now, Joshua comes back to Jerusalem. But this is not this Joshua's first visit to Jericho. Do you remember in chapter 5, I preached on this a few weeks back. I don't expect you to remember all that stuff, but I hope you remember the Bible story at least. And that is Joshua right before this first battle in this foreign land, this promised land, meets someone. Do you remember this? He meets them at night. They have their sword drawn. And he says, hey, buddy, which one are you? Are you for us or are you for those pagans? No. Neither. I am the captain of the Lord's host. This is a theophany or an appearing of God, the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, an appearing of Him in the flesh, just an appearing at this point. Now here he is, fast forward to the New Testament, coming back to Jerusalem as Joshua, literally, Jesus, but now he's in the flesh for all time. He's, been, he's taken on flesh. Not just an appearing where he shows up and then boom, he's off again. But rather, for all time, he takes on flesh and shows back up to Jerusalem, not to destroy, sorry, Jericho, not to destroy, but to heal. But in order to heal, he must still bring the walls down. Those walls are in here. We all do it. We all have them. You go somewhere new, you put your walls up. You're not just going to spill all the beans about your life to people you don't know. You want to look cool around them. You want to look suave. And so we put these walls up. And sometimes in putting these walls up, they get out of control. And we have them up so much that no one can get in. We've all been there before where we don't allow anyone in. And a lot of times what you'll notice is people who actually are angry or mean a lot of times have walls so big they can't see out anymore. They were trying to protect themselves from other people, but what they ended up doing was imprisoning themselves. And now they're in this prison called Jericho. And what Joshua comes to do is bring the walls down so that he can heal, so that he can give the gift of salvation. You see, this wasn't the son of God's first time here. Wasn't his first rodeo. He's back and now in the flesh. And he's not there just to see and save Rahab. You remember Rahab was saved? 
even though the walls came down, Rahab was saved. She came into the community of God. Now, guess what? There's a Jew who's going to be saved, and that's Zacchaeus. Rahab, a Gentile, now Zacchaeus, a Jew, and here comes Joshua to save again and to heal. You see, as rich people, as people with means, as people with abilities, as we are in America, as we are here in Madison, sitting in our, sitting in our seat, nice air-conditioned seats and lighted and comfy and able to do a lot of things just because we have a credit card or just because we have a bank account and can make money. We have a lot of ability and possibilities, but sometimes that needs to be broken down in order to see our need for God. As my professor used to say, we don't need God in our society because we have Walmart. In other words, Walmart supplies all my needs according to its shelves and stock and the grocery store. We don't really, as we're buying groceries, thank God for what we're pulling off the shelf. We just thank our own ability to do it. And that's a dangerous place to live. This is why it is hard, Jesus says, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They feel like they don't need God. And we all need God. We all need Joshua to come and conquer us and deliver us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice what happens. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus actually means pure. Pure. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Luke is very clear, and was rich. He wants you to know that. There's little details in this narrative that he wants you to know. Now remember, Luke is also the author of Acts. So a lot of the themes that are picked up in his gospel are brought right into the book of Acts. And you'll see this. You'll see other rich people. The eunuch was super rich. Remember the eunuch who was saved in, uh, in Acts. Super rich guy. And is converted. So the themes get played over in the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles. And so Luke is very detailed because he's a physician. Physicians have to be detailed. They take detailed notes. I mean, talk to one sometime. They have to do all this dictating where they talk to themselves. You know, this patient had a broken leg. I fixed it, whatever. And then somebody else writes all that out, you know. I think it's weird, but they're detailed. Luke was detailed, and he's very detailed. That's why I think his, his gospel is the longest. He'll do things like this. You know, Mark will just say, oh, they went over there and prayed. That's how I would have said it. But Luke says, they went about a stone's throw away to pray. Okay, thanks for the detail, big guy. Well, he has some detail here, and that is, he was rich. Now, tax collectors were rich. They were known to be wealthy. But he is a chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector, which would already been the upper echelon. He's the one in charge of the farming of taxes by the Romans. So they gave this to any Jew who would want to be a traitor. Because once you accepted that job, you were basically working for Rome. Which made you a traitor in the eyes of the rest of the Jews. You'd come around, collect the taxes. There was a lot of corruption here. Now, there's a debate whether or not Zacchaeus was corrupt or not. The text actually never tells us that he was corrupt. When he makes this statement in the Greek that he will give back any money he possibly might have 
taken accidentally uh, to restore it fourfold. And even when he says his other thing, that I'll give ha- I give half my income. It doesn't say things like, I will give half. It's actually this weird thing in the Greek where it could mean either one. So it's possible that Zacchaeus is actually not a bad guy. That he's actually living up to his name, Zacchaeus, pure. And yet, people don't like him. People ostracized him because of his profession. And so this fellow Zacchaeus, I had to ask, you know, like, what, what, what about him? What about this story did I like as a child? I was trying to just remember, like, because I like the story. Most people like Zacchaeus' story, right? Why do we like it? I started asking myself this question. And I think here's the reason why. is because it's actually a story of victory. Like, it's a story of, of somebody actually doing something good. And I think the general tone of the passage is one that's positive. That's victorious. Actually, something good here happens, which is why it makes it into the kids' stories, right? And so Zacchaeus, here he is. His name means pure. And there are are just a couple things said about he's rich, but then also he's short. So he's rich and he's short. He's very clear about this. Now, Now look, in the Gospels, we never get that kind of detail concerning Jesus. We never get that detail concerning the disciples. But Luke wants us to know something, and that is Zacchaeus may be rich and ahead of people on some things, but he was short. And so at, a, at some kind of disadvantage. Now, we'll stop. You know, we don't, I'm not, I have jokes for, for that, you know, for, my, for some of my friends and stuff, for being short and everything. But look, I'm not going to use that, all right? They just like to look up to me and stuff, so I don't want... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> let me rephrase that. They, you know, no, I'm just kidding. But Zacchaeus was short, and Luke wants us to know that. Now, why is that important? When the story is important, because he was seeking... I love the way it says it. He was seeking to see Jesus. He was seeking to actually see him. Now, Jesus, you have to understand, was popular at this point. He had already done miracles, and so... When he would come into town, everybody's coming out to see him, to, to put their eyeballs on him, possibly to meet him. I mean, anybody that can heal the lame, the blind, the dead. I mean, wouldn't you want to meet that kind of person? I mean, you want to meet people that throw a football. <laughs> Think about this. This guy comes into town and people want to meet him. So because of his shortened height, he cannot see Above the people. So his disadvantage uh, actually becomes his advantage. Here's why. Because he doesn't just say, oh, well, I guess I'll go back home because I'm too short to meet Jesus. We do that a lot of times. We give up. All of us have been disadvantaged, haven't we? In some way. It doesn't matter how rich you are. I mean, I know, I, I don't know him personally, but I see rich people on TV and some of them are ugly. That's a disadvantage. I mean, some of you look really nice and you might not be rich, but that, you got that going for you. You see, we're all disadvantaged in some way. I mean, you, you, we, if we had time to just talk about it together, i say, where do you think in life you were disadvantaged? Maybe it was your family. Maybe it was your upbringing. Maybe it was your 
financial means. Maybe it was your education. Whatever it was, we all feel at some point in our life, we too were trying to look over the crowd to see Jesus. And one of the things in the Gospels that I love is the crowds in the Gospels are not always a good thing. They're more like a herd. You know how herds work. Boy, you you seen those wildebeest like on National Geographic, you know what I'm saying? Like one of them strikes out this way, everybody goes this way. The herd is powerful. The herd is dangerous. And to be caught up in the herd can sometimes prevent you from seeing Jesus. The crowds oftentimes are in the way of those who truly need Jesus. In other words, everybody's clamoring to get in there just because he's popular or just because it's cool or just because they're interested. And some of the ones who need it, need him the most, are not able to get to him. You remember the guy that was paralyzed, right? And his friends could not even get in the house. They didn't give up. You know what? Zacchaeus did not give up. Even though he was disadvantaged because of his height, he climbs up into a sycamore tree. A mulberry fig. And tries to see Jesus. And his disadvantage becomes his advantage because guess what happens? Jesus looks up. Actually says it in the text. Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come into your house today. I must come to your house today is the way he says it. Now two things about that. One... Jesus calls him by name. Either Jesus knew him already in some form, which is probably doubtful, actually. At least according to the text, we're not given any kind of inclination that that's the case. Or Jesus knew him because he's God and calls him by name. Have you ever had that moment where God called you by name? Name. It's one of those kind of things where you don't forget it. It's the difference in when you're a child and your your mom or dad saying, you know, son, come over and do this, or daughter, come do this, whatever, and all of a sudden using your full name, Marshall Lawrence Dog, right? It's like you kind of stand up straight then, right? I remember getting in trouble one time at church because I couldn't sit still, go figure, you know? And um my friends and I were talking, and we were laughing, and, uh, and I felt this, uh, this burning feeling, and I look up, kind of just look up. I didn't want to up here where my dad was because he's pastor, you know, and he's just looking dead at me like an eagle. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. So I'd actually played outside extra long that night, you know what I mean? Uh, didn't want to come home, and when I came home, rushed upstairs real fast. And I got about halfway up. Marshall! It was one of those things, you know, you just knew in the tone, in the way he was calling me by name, and it wasn't going to be good for me. And it wasn't. Wasn't the first time or the last. But we need to have a moment where Jesus calls our name. Now, I'm not saying some kind of just spirit. I mean, literally, Jesus, who is in the flesh, risen from the dead, seated at the Father's right hand, speaks to our hearts by the Holy Spirit and calls our name and calls us to His purposes. I want to come to your house today. Are we 
prepared to receive Jesus? Because, again, maybe leaning on the side that Zacchaeus wasn't a bad guy, it actually says he was glad to receive Jesus, joyful to receive Jesus. He wasn't saying, hey, i got to go clean up some stuff, man. i got to throw away some, some things before you get here. He says, well, the preacher's coming. you got to throw everything in there. No, no. So come on. Let's do this. And it's, <laughs> and so notice here, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, who is they in your life? You know what I mean? You know, we oftentimes just say that. You know what they say. Who is they? Right? Here, they, notice they're not mentioned, they start grumbling. Now notice, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now you say, well, there's the Bible telling us that he was a sinner. Well, you have to understand, a tax collector was just grouped in as a sinner. We know from different documents that actually... You just, if you wanted to say sinners, you normally included publicans or tax collectors. Kind of like when we talk about liars, you normally mention lawyers and politicians, right? I mean, we're watching them lie night after night, and you're like, huh, that's weird. I don't get to do that at work. Why do they? And here, Zacchaeus is grouped in with those people who are known to be sinners. And so they start grumbling. And here's the thing. Our job, not to be fantastic, not to be suave, not to be witty, not to be just greatly gifted, but instead our job is to be faithful. And it was just, it was... Driven home to me uh, two Sundays ago after preaching, I just wanted to go crawl in a hole, you know? Crawl under one of those chairs right there. Felt like it was awful. It was awful, actually. And it was like the greatest story told told poorly, you know? And uh, you know what? God still, for some crazy reason, and, and, and it's because of who He is, He still decided to use a poor sermon. Because he's not concerned with how good things are that you can do. He's the one that does the work. Amen. <laughs> Just like inviting my son. I'm like, Jackson, why don't you come out here and help me change the oil in the truck? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not actually going to let him do it. But he's going to help me. He might be able to hold the light. And you know what? That's what we're called to do, is be faithful to hold the light. He's going to do the work. He's going to do the work. They can't get in our way. And what I mean by that is they, whoever they is in your life, (laughs) not as bad grammar, but whoever they is in your life, don't listen to them. The crowd always gets in the way. The world will always get in the way of us hearing, seeing Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. 
But what's better than him seeking Jesus is Jesus was seeking him. That's what, I mean, that's what this text says. Is Jesus wasn't surprised that he was in the tree. He's not, hey buddy, who are you? What are you doing up there? Instead, immediately, Zacchaeus, coming to your house. Because I've been seeking after you. You know what? We think that we're the ones seeking God. He's seeking us. He's hot on our trail. He's the hound of heaven. And no matter where we go to hide, no matter what kind of walls we build up, he can sniff it out. He knows where we are. We're not hiding from him. And he can bring those walls down and come into our hearts if we will invite him in. He's asking already, I want to come to your house, your temple. I want to dwell in your temple. Will you receive Jesus like Zacchaeus did, joyfully? Ready? I mean, dude's running all over the place. He ran to the tree, and now he hurried down. That's the way I like to move, you know? They start mumbling and grumbling about him, though. And he stands up to say, Jesus... I know you're going to Passover and you can't come into the house of a sinner, someone unclean. So, just so you know, I give half of my income, not 10%, half of my income to the poor. And anyone who proves that one of my people has defrauded them, pay him back fourfold. He's actually justifying that Jesus can come to his house because Jesus is actually going to Passover. He's a Jew. You can't be unclean going to Passover. That's, that's, that's a big no-no. So he says, Jesus did this. And you know what? You would think to say, well, Zacchaeus, don't be talking about yourself so much, big guy, you know? No, no, no. Watch what happens. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. In other words, Jesus comes to the defense of Zacchaeus. Because here's how we know that. Notice, he's talking in third person. He also is, he's not talking to Zacchaeus anymore. He's talking to the they out there. You know what? You know what Satan is all about? Accusing. He is known as the accuser. Right now, he's developing a plan to accuse you before God for what you've done, your failures. Here's what the scripture actually says. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we're all short. We're all disadvantaged. We're all trying to peek above the rest wishing that Jesus might just see us. And you know what? If we'll get in his way, he'll call us by name. In other words, put yourself in his way. He was passing through. Put yourself in the way. How do you do that? We've been talking about it for weeks. Pray. That is a known path where God frequents. Read the Bible. Reading the Bible, devotionally, personally, not just me doing it for you here, not doing it responsibly once a week, 
but getting in the word, eating it, like we talked about weeks ago, getting it in you is another way to run into God or have him run into us because this is a known path where he will meet you. You haven't heard from God in a long time. Have you cracked this open in a long time? He's speaking every day through this. If we'll just plug in and listen. And then we can also run into God right here with each other. God is everywhere present, but nowhere more present than in his church. In other words, the church is literally the presence of God in the world. The body of Christ in the world. And when we join with brothers and sisters in unity, we're going to run into God. You're not going to be a part of a small group for two months and not run into God. If you are, we'll disband the group because they're not seeking after God, obviously. You will run into God because that is a path that he walks and frequents. We must get in the way of God in order for him to see us. Be conspicuous like Zacchaeus was. Up in the tree. Be peculiar. Allow your disadvantages that you see to be your advantages. Because he can do that. He loves turning things like that upside down. The things that we count out, oh, I can, you can never use that. No, no, no. He can do great and mighty things. God now comes to the defense of Zacchaeus and he says this, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Here's Joshua. He's ready to conquer, but he's ready to conquer this house and he's seeking after you. He's seeking, thanks be to God, after me, even me. All the walls I've built up, all the ways I've tried to hide from him, he's still coming after me and pursuing me. And I pray he wins. I pray he wins. I pray he conquers me. I had the opportunity, and I'm going to end with this, I had the opportunity to meet Greg Maddox when I was a child. My favorite pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. He really was. He was awesome. There was, I mean, that was back in the glory days. And... He was an an amazing pitcher, and we were in Atlanta watching them play and went to Whitewater, which was a water park there, and Justin eyed him and saw him in the kiddie section of all places with his children and another relief pitcher. And Justin was like, man, let's go over there and and meet him. And I mean, I mean, this is my guy. I mean, I have baseball cards galore of Greg Maddox, you know. I wanted to meet him, but I was too afraid to go. I actually was. I, I literally was too nervous and scared to go over there and talk to him in the shaded part of the kiddie pool. Now, Justin actually did. And I waited around and missed it. My one and only opportunity ever to meet Greg Maddox. And I wasn't able to. He passed by and his visitation was no more. And you know what? I'm telling you that God this very morning is passing by. He's in the kiddie pool of your life, if you will. 
don't be afraid to allow him to see you. He is, as Hagar found out in the Old Testament, he is the God who sees us. Will you look at him? You know how it is. I know, I know. When we're shamed, we want to do this and bow our heads and not look at anybody. Lift your heads this morning, church, and look Jesus in the eyes. He is here to deliver you, to heal you. He's here to make your life pure joy. Don't be like I was. He's a good father. He's a good brother. He prays for us and with us and in us. Do not delay. You're not just a head. You don't just have a mind. You're not just a heart. Instead, what happens in your head and in your heart must be displayed this morning by you coming and meeting Jesus. Somebody, I'm telling you, somebody here today, more than one person here today, Jesus passing by, do not delay. Immediately, they start coming to mind, don't they? Don't do it. What are people going to think? What are people... You know what I'm going to think? I'm going to think, praise God, somebody's meeting Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus did. And that's what everybody in this community better be thinking when somebody comes down here and confirms something in Jesus Christ. Who needs to come down here? Who needs to allow Jesus to see them? Let's just act like today, this is the sycamore tree. Would you come and climb so that he sees you? And calls you by name? I pray you do. Amen.